Hello everyone, it's Chris here from the In The Saddle podcast and for this episode I was joined by former jockey Paul Callahan. Now Paul um, used to be based with the likes of Tom George, Howard Johnson and Henry Daly so he's worked with some of the best trainers in the national hunt game but things didn't always go to plan during his career. He found life um, hard sometimes as a jockey and that's something sometimes I think we as a sport forget and since he uh, retired he did find life quite hard uh, looking for other careers away from the sport because all he'd ever wanted to be was a jockey so it was great to talk to him but before I hand over um, please make sure if you are listening to us on iTunes Spotify and SoundCloud you give us a follow and if you are listening to us on iTunes please rate and review our podcast we love to hear your feedback but enough of myself talking now I leave you with myself and Paul and I hope you enjoy this podcast. So for this episode I'm delighted to be joined by Paul Callahan. Thanks for coming on, Paul. Yeah, thanks very much, Chris, for having me on. No, it's great. Um, we've noticed you've been supporting our podcast for the last uh, couple of months or so, and it's great to have you on. Um, but first of all, uh, where did it all start for you? How did you get involved in racing, and uh, who, who introduced you to the sport? Um, I suppose my father will have to take the blame for that. I grew up in the northeast of Ireland in County Meath on a on a on a farm, family farm. And um I'm the youngest of five. I've three brothers and a sister who none of which are involved in the sport. But we always used to go to the Irish Grand National Meeting at, at Fairy House growing up and I was just fascinated. We always used to go on the Wednesday on family day and I was absolutely fascinated with with the horse racing and with the jockeys. Like the jockeys were they're almost like gladiators to me. Um, I was just fascinated with the sport, so I I knew starting primary school, I knew that that's what I wanted to be was a jockey, and it never changed. And growing up, my family would have been involved heavily in the in the GA, both at club level and, and at county level. So I was maybe more destined to play football for for me than me definitely me till my local club played mm. with, and I represented my county at underage level as a footballer, and. Um, the, like when I was 14, I think I was like 10, 10 and a half stone, I think, and I was quite heavy, but I, was, I wasn't over, like I was well built. I was playing football, Gaelic football seven days a week. And um, that was it when I turned, I think when I was 15, the Halloween of 15, I got a job on a, I got a job for during the midterm break of Halloween for a local trainer, Jerry McArdle, who doesn't train anymore. And just a midterm break of Halloween and, and things just went from there. Yeah, that's really interesting how, how it all started for you, that you didn't really come from a racing background. Um, but when you were aspiring to become a jockey, was the was the map to becoming a jockey quite easy for you? Were you able to do anything beforehand, before you got that chance with that trainer, or was that your first experience? That was my first experience. Um, my mother was more mother was, was more into that I stayed at school and completed the Leaving Cert, which would be our equivalent of the, the A-levels. Um, so I I stayed at school reluctantly. Um, I got my amateur license out when I was sixteen, but I no I didn't come I didn't do any pony racing or anything like that. Um, I got my amateur license out when I was sixteen. Didn't have a ride at all. I completed the leaving cert when I was seventeen, 
and obviously at this stage I was watching my weight when I went for my when I went for my amateur license at race in the Curra, it was I think a three day it was I think two day course anyway but I was definitely I was ten stone eight I think as a sixteen year old and I was kind of watching my weight but I didn't have my first ride until I went to England I went to England three days after the leaving sir I was just seventeen. I went to Tom George's and I had my first ride on the 4th of December 2001 on a horse called Delone at Hereford and Delone Julia Blades and I thought the game was easy. Yeah and, and when you were at that point in your career did you get the chance to go to like any racing colleges or racing schools to kind of like um, learn the ways of the sport and ha- all the things you needed to know? No I was I developed quite quick I was quite I was quite natural at home anyway. Um, the first day I went into to Jerry McCarter's, it was I rode, rode one horse. I couldn't ride one side of the horse. But the next day, under a bit of tuition from from a, a couple of lads in the yard, um, I rode five horses. And any of the any of the horses that were difficult, or you, in the end, any of the horses that were difficult, or you couldn't, I was having problems with. Um, you were basically just put on them until you were able to, to manage them. And when you um finally got your chance to come over to England you said you were 17 uh got your chance with Tom George what was yeah. that like having to leave Ireland or was it quite a natural thing as a lot of jockeys that make it in England do come from Ireland was it quite an easy transition like leaving and moving away from home to pursue your dream it was it was easy in the aspect of you're kind of following your dream like from as I said I started primary school when I was five I knew the day I started primary school that I wanted to be a jockey and that was it. There was no question about it. And I am I would be quite stubborn in my own way. So I stuck stuck to my guns and in my own head I had it that if, if anyone was to if you were to make it as a jockey, England was the place to go. But it was very hard being the youngest of five and all my, my brothers and sister live relatively close to home. Um it was it was hard. It was to very, very tough now leaving home. On the on the other side, I used to live. I was living with Jason McGuire, who's a fellow mead man, and he was a great, great and great kind of. He was a great guy to, to learn from, both in and out of the saddle. He was brilliant, and um, so that kind of made life a little bit easier. But it was it was it was tough, and, and you read Corky Brown's article during the week mm-hmm. from Nicky Henderson, head lad, and, and like he said it himself, like after all the years, it's still he still has tears in his eyes leaving Ireland. You know, it was tough. No, oh, I can understand. Understand that. Uh, so, was it? How long were you with Tom George for? Um, and how and how did your career develop once you arrived in England? I was with Tom for three years. Um, it was brilliant. I loved it there. Like you worked hard now, but we, you know, we had great fun, and we were all kind of around the same age group as well. Um, I mentioned Jason McGuire. Matt Nichols was also there. He was um, he was the head lad there. who's now assistant trainer to Kim Bailey. So there were some great times there, but Tom was, he was a very, he's a good trainer, a very fair trainer. Um, I learned a lot from Tom, brilliant, great horseman. Um, and a great man to 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 kind of nurture and, and pro- progress the, the kind of longevity of a horse, you know. If you had a horse with Tom as a four-year-old, there's every chance it would still be in training as a, as a ten-year-old. Um, and he's got great facilities there, but naturally, there's a, I remember there was like a wooded area that was quite close by him. There was a horse that was a bit kind of cute to the gallop, or maybe not just putting it in on the gallop. Tom might send it out hunting, or send it up around through the woods for a couple of days, and it, it would kind of sweeten things up. 
And, and did, did you get many opportunities riding out for Tom, or did you have to have quite a bit of patience when you were riding there? I had a little bit of patience, um, and in the end, it, I was tough because I had a cat. I had a, I had a license. My amateur license was didn't allow me to ride against professionals. And at the time, back in two thousand and one, there wasn't that many opportunities for for jockeys who were just who were just confined to amateur races. So I had my first ride on in December, fourth of December two thousand and one. I didn't have my next ride until March two thousand and two, um, and I think I went three seasons without a winner. So it was kind of I was I was getting a few rides in point of points, but they weren't that they weren't great, you know. Mm. Um, and it was just it was tough going. It was tough to kind of try. At the end, when I got my category, I think the category B license, which allowed me to ride against professionals, I started getting a few extra rides then. Um, and then just I got a couple of rides for Tom and Novice Hurdles that maybe just didn't go to plan. And at the time, I might have been good enough, you know. So. Mm things on the race course kind of the opportunities had dried up but that was kind of the way it panned out and where did you go after you left tom's well in the in february i was there with tom for three years i think it was february 2004 i was i had a lesson over the winter months i had a couple of lessons with yogi breisner and um i was i started a couple of winners at the point of points and things started to pick up on the point of points circuit i was riding a lot better i was riding with a lot of confidence and what have you so i i, I started to go racing in thomas to lead up the horses which i'd never done before so i met howard johnson one day at haydock when royal rosa was running and royal rosa i think it was a grade two novice hurdle and i went i was at the races looking after a horse of thomas and Howard Johnson, this small man, popped his head over the stable door and, and asked me if I'd do him a favour. So I says, I might. I said, if I have time, I'll do it for you. So he says, will you leave one up for me in whatever, the three o'clock, we'll say, or the one o'clock? And I says, yeah, no bother. I have plenty of time. So off I went and it was Royal Rosa. So I got chatting to Howard and Sue Johnson and keen enough to make an impression. I told him that I was a, a keen, eager amateur jockey and, you know, I was starved of opportunities. So Royal Rose to Julia Blades and I got a couple of quid for leading up. So um, Howard says to keep in touch and see see where things go from there. So I kept in touch with Howard and he'd know any any horse that was entered up, bought the racing post every day, checked the entries every day, paying particular attention to those in the north, and rang Howard whether there was a name next to the job next to the horse or not. I rang Howard religiously every entry he had, and. Um, Luckily enough, I think it was the last Monday of March of that year, Howard had a, had two entered up in an amateur race at Sedgefield. So I rang him up and he says, yeah, he says, you'll definitely ride one of them. Not sure what runs yet, but he says, you'll definitely ride one. So I rode a horse called Kathmandu for Alan, Alan Shearer and Terry McDermott. Yeah. So, and Kathmandu, Julie, Julie obliged and things flew. I think I rode two or three winners up or maybe from between then and from the end of March to, the, to about mid-June, I absolutely flew. I was riding every week and like riding most days and um, things were flying. Howard had offered me a job to start in July of, of that, that summer, that year. So I spoke to Tom and Tom was quite, he said it made sense. Tom was brilliant, very supportive. And um, I made the move north that, that July that year. And what was it like moving up north? Because... There has always been that divide, or been seen to be in that divide between southern and northern racing. Was it a bit different moving up there, and 
it wasn't maybe quite as lucrative as it was down here, but maybe in a sense, because maybe there wasn't as many top so-called top horses up north, there were more opportunities for someone that wanted to make it. Well, I didn't mind. I was, I didn't mind to be honest. Like I was going up to, I had good, good fun, good crack in the north when I was any of the journeys. I was riding mostly in the north, I suppose, at that time. Um, like bear in mind, I was in Howard's on a on a out of the saddle. I was leaving Tom George's and I was leaving Jason McGuire, who who I become good friends and very close to. And you were now going up into on. I suppose I felt more so that I was branching out on my own. Mm-hmm. Um. It was more daunting out of the saddle, but in the saddle, you were moving up to to a trainer who had the guts of 200 horses. You'd rode a winner for him that was very well backed. So I was promised that I was going to be, the, that, you know, the rides were going to be, Graham Lee was going to have first choice and the rides after that were going to be shared between myself and Alan Dempsey. Mm-hmm. So I was quite excited going up the north, but just things didn't didn't work out. What, what, why would you say they didn't work out? Was it is it because it was quite competitive and there was, there wasn't so many spare rides going? Is is that sometimes when you're a jockey and unless you don't have the support behind you, it's quite hard to to get those opportunities because they can be quite limited. Yeah, the opportunities were limited. Um, I got I think I had three or four rides for Howard the whole time I was there. Um, I didn't like it to be honest. Um, I didn't enjoy it. The horses were fantastic. The horses were the key, the best horses in the country. Um, you know, we had three Cheltenham Festival winners that that best that March. But um, I didn't enjoy it. And when I was riding, when I wasn't in the yard, I was, it wasn't in favour with with Mister Johnson himself. So it just was, you know, that was the way it was. I rode a lot for a trainer, a small trainer in the north at the time called Ray Nixon, and I'll never forget. I was I was riding. A couple of rides at Perth for, for Ray Nixon, I think it was the April. And I remember just Howard wasn't very happy when he came out that I was I wasn't going to be spending the day in the yard. So that was that. No, that, that's really interesting. So so when did you stop riding out with Howard then? I moved on I'd say it was, I only spent about eight months there. I was gone till that summer. I think I was riding at a point to point one day I was doing all right like outside of it you know but your confidence does take a, a knock I didn't I wasn't riding that many horses and on the track and like in the end I wasn't even schooling at Howard's um hmm. so in kind of yeah just things had things weren't good and, and ultimately that does affect you you know you're riding I remember trotting I remember I think it was Chivalry who was there um, I think Sir Mark Prescott used to train I was trotting Chivalry around the roads watching like about 20 horses from in Howard schooling. So you can imagine that was one of the longest mornings I've ever put into my life. Yeah. Um, and it's nothing like you, you kind of, I think there's a fine line between being a, and it's not like you have, I have to take some responsibility for it myself, but I think there's a, there's a fine line, I've said it before, between a, a busy fool and, and just working smart. And I think, you know, when, when I first went to Howard's, I worked quite hard and, and maybe not as smart as I could have done. No, that that's understandable. So, when you you've starting to find it, you know, getting quite tough for you, were you always envious of jo- other like conditional and amateur jockeys coming through, and you and that that was maybe why you found it hard to get opportunities, uh, and that because there was always a there was always every year someone else coming through, getting those opportunities that you were trying to get. Is it was did you feel that competition whilst you were going through your career? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, it was it was tough. Like I mean, I remember Christian and Nick Williams riding coming through the amateur ranks, and, and I had ridden with them when I was in Tom George's. I'd done a, a season in the Welsh point to point circuit, and you kind of I had gone seemingly gone ten steps forward and maybe twenty backwards, you know. Um, and it's just for it, it's very frustrating, and when things go wrong when you're young, at the time I nobody really mentioned me. You know, you, you kind of. I didn't go off the rails, but I, I probably didn't. Have, like, I I started at, at Howard's. We used to start at eight o'clock, and when I started there, maybe the first three or four months, I was I was never in any later than quarter to eight. But you know, shortly after that, I was never in before eight o'clock. So you know, that was kind of the mentality that that I, I just wasn't enjoying it. Or what I knew things. I probably should have left. Okay, kind of knew. I, I kind of knew the second night I wasn't happy with how things were set up outside the, the yard. My accommodation and what have you just wasn't the best. Um, and the second night, so much so, the second night that I stayed there, I stayed in the car. Um, and you don't see that on the on the, the race course, you know. But these things do add up. Like, I mean, if you have, if you have a striper who's not happy at a mm. club, he's more than likely, he's not, he's not going to score goals for a start. So then he gets, he's not being picked to be on the team and ultimately, it has a snowball effect. Do you, do you think that to, to go to the top in the game of racing, you you always, you hear it when I interview so many jockeys, you always need a strong support network. And do you think you just didn't have someone fight in your corner? Maybe, I don't know, we haven't spoken about your agent yet, but did you have maybe an agent that wasn't? I did. I had, I had Chris, I had um, Richard Hale, who was, who didn't, I, I don't know. I think Richard Hale was was great. I think when if you wanted if, at the time if you wanted to survive in the north, you needed Richard Hale to be getting your rides because he was you know any guy like just for instance I remember riding at Hexham one night and Graham Lee and, and Tony Dobbin were were the top two on his books, and if you went through the card, there were seven races or six races, Graham and Tony, and it's not that fantastic jockeys, but they both had the both all both jockeys. In all races, were riding first and second favourites throughout the card. No, that's 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 amazing. That so so yeah. It, sometimes up in the north, I managed to I managed to nick a winner on the on the night. But it just got. I just remember getting reading from through the racing post, and at the time I hadn't moved up the north at that stage yet. Yeah. But you know when you're kind of weighing things up and putting two and two together um when i went through the the, the card like the two lads were riding the, the top two in the bet in each race and in the racing post no so so i guess then it's it's a bit like now you could argue like brian hughes seems to get on most of the favorites up in the north and it seems that it's quite dominant then with like maybe a few jockeys getting the majority of like the good rides and then there's a lot of people grappling around for for spares. Yeah, I think there, there, like there is there's a lot of top like Brian's a top class jockey. I think he'd be he, he wouldn't he's not certainly not a British champion jockey and, and definitely hats off to him. Brian has worked incredibly hard, but as has you know the majority of jockeys do work incredibly hard. But unfortunately, there's generally only going to be one champion at the end of the season and. You know, it, it's it is it's so tough. Like, um, I wouldn't, I don't know if someone fighting me corner, but I could have been maybe a little bit more mature about it myself. I probably should have left Howard's earlier mm-hmm. instead of getting sour with with the whole thing. You know, um, you know, hard work does 
pay, but I do. You do need a little bit of a rub of the green as well. Um, and the only example I can t- think of off the top of my head, a perfect example, is Sean Flanagan. Sean packed in, you know, things he had a season in England and and then came home and whatever he for whatever reason he packed in and then he came back and you know he walked away in Noel Meads and as a knock on effect, unfortunately Paul Carberry got injured and Sean Flanagan was in was in the right place at the right time doing the right things, but ultimately if, if Paul Carberry was still riding today, Sean Flanagan mightn't just be getting opportunities that he mm. that he has been getting. No, so you see, seems like you've got to be in the right place at the right time for a lot it just, yeah, of these you things. Need, you do, like people say you make your own luck. I don't think you do. I think you, you can eliminate the negativity and eliminate the bad things. You can certainly put things in your own favour, but you do need a little rub of the green. You do need that little bit of time. And and after you left Howard's, where did you go next? Um, who was your next trainer that you were I based kinda, I rolled out a little bit. I rode out a little bit for the late Alan Swinbank for not not very long, and then an opportunity came in, came up. I came home in it to, to Ireland for a, a short couple of weeks or what have you, went back to England, and an opportunity came up with Henry Daly. So I went to Tom Gretton, who I was friends with. I knew through, I think Tom had rode out and Tom George, so Tom Gretton rang and asked if, if I knew of an amateur. So I said I did. I, I'd broken my collarbone, I think. That was it in October riding a horse for Nicky Evans in a bumper at Exeter. I got absolutely, I think it was Richard Young, who's with Colin Tizard now, absolutely wiped me out in the whole turn. Hmm. <laughs> it was actually like it wasn't, there was nothing, it's just these things happen. And uh, the horse turned over and I broke my collarbone, so I was out for a while with it. And when I came back, Henry Daly was looking for an amateur. So I rode a horse called Salopian. Mm-hmm. I finished fourth, I think, around Ludlow in an amateur rider's hurdle. And that was it, I got, got, got a job with Henry Daly. And and what was it like moving to Henry Daly's? Did you get quite a lot of opportunities with him? Was he quite good to you? Yeah, Henry was brilliant. Henry was class. I loved him. Um, and I'd still be be there, possibly there now. Um, I I absolutely loved it. Um, I rode at the Cheltenham Festival for Henry. I rode in any amateur race for Henry. There was no question. Like when you put in contrast, like in in Howard's, I wasn't even getting the school horses. Where in Henry's. I was I rode at the Cheltenham Festival. I ended up riding at Aintree as well, not for Henry, but but around Aintree again. I had a couple of lessons with Yogi Breisner, and um, I was riding really well. Like Henry's was, you'd school. We schooled twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays, and you would jump between thirty and eighty fences a morning, hmm. and you were schooling with the likes of Richard Johnson, Mark Bradburn, Andrew Tinkler, Chuck Thornton. Like it was just, it was brilliant. And. Um- um, when was it that turning point for you that unfortunately you, you thought that no, you know what, this jockey lifestyle isn't for me anymore? What was the defining moment that really? Oh, I, I moved up, I did a couple of seasons with Henry and I absolutely loved it. And then I moved, I was riding a lot in the north, I was riding a little bit for Philip Kirby when Phil started. And um, I had a couple of small trainers I was riding for as a freelance in the end. Henry's, Henry's, Henry Daly's horses kind of were, I think there was a virus in the yard. The horses weren't running particularly well. And I remember Henry calling me in and he says, look, he says, you can move or you can ride the storm and, and sit it out. But he says, I can't put you on, on any horses at the moment because they're running so bad. And he said, you know, it's a big difference between you saying something and maybe Richard Johnson saying the same thing, you know? So 
it's very hard to fall out with anybody who's straight up with you like. mm. um, and I've been back right now for Henry since that like he was just he was a fantastic boss and a great place to work great fun and it was just a great a school of morning there if you've never been I'd definitely choose a Friday if you can organise to get down there it's something else um, but I, I, I turned conditional and I was freelancing and just things where I was injured I was riding with injuries I'd cracked my shoulder blade and I fractured my thumb dislocated and fractured my thumb and I concussion as well. I, I lost my memory, I think, for about two weeks. Hmm. Um, and I took, I was out for about six, I was out for about six months, I think. And I came back, then the trainers that I was riding for were set up, were fixed up. And um, it was just, it, well, I, I think I had two rides when I came back and I just, I rode a horse at Market Race and I think I went two and a half, three days without, without eating. Um, had a sweat in the car going down with the heaters on to ride a horse that was I think 33 or 66 to 1 hmm. and um, the horse pulled up and I, I remember just getting in the car and I thought this isn't really happening um, so I, yeah I came back home and, and kind of I didn't really I had a couple of rides at home that I probably shouldn't have had you know I wasn't my heart wasn't in it um, I didn't enjoy going racing anymore I didn't enjoy I wasn't getting a buzz out of it you know Um and then that was that was I packed in about 2012 maybe roughly 2011 2012. And when you were getting those injuries, what, what, what and then it kind of sent you into that spiral, thinking it's not for me anymore. Um, I think when I come back, um, you're looking essentially you're looking to make a living. You know, you've gone from looking for a Saturday horse to then looking for a ride to make a living hmm. or to try try and make a living. And, you know, you're, you're basically right to survive. And then you're just not even, you're not doing that anymore. Like, there's only so much, like, you know, if, if, if Brian Hughes or if Richard Johnson doesn't get a, if they don't get a winner at the Cheltenham Festival, it's a bad week for them. Hmm. Whereas for the likes of Paul Callaghan, if I didn't get a ride, at the, if I got one ride at the Cheltenham Festival, I was delighted, hmm. you know, just to be there. Um, but that chance, you know, the, the Cheltenham Festival was 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 a, like I had a few rides around Cheltenham, but then it was kind of I was at Sedgefield another year, and then I wasn't even at Sedgefield the following year. Do you know? Hmm. Um, I suppose you're the la when I was injured. When I was injured, I was kind of thinking about getting back, but when I came back, there was nothing really to the horses I was riding where were poor. And I just had I'd fallen out of love with it, I think. And you're older as well. Like I was heading for I was twenty six, twenty seven, like you're not mm. you're not a young fly you're not in jockey terms, you're not a young fly anymore. Do you know you have James Bowen winning Grand mm. Nationals at seventeen? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and the likes of Oshie Murphy champion jockey at twenty three, twenty four, do you know and like just to met Jamie Spencer, I think he, I just seen on, on, on social media this morning, like he he'd won a, a guineas at, at seventeen, so mm. But when you're turning 26, 27, and you just kind of, it's time to, to stop living the dream, I think. Do you think that was actually, it wasn't the worst age for you to stop being a jockey because you still got your life ahead of you and you can look for alternative careers, but was but was it quite tricky because obviously you put all your eggs in like the basket of wanting to become a jockey, wanting to work in racing, and then just to have that realisation that it's not for me anymore, and then... You know, the, re the realization was tough. Um, that realization and trying to trying to find somebody else. 
or trying to find something else to do was um was tough like i didn't because I, as we said at the beginning mm. from as if as, as far back as i can remember as a three or four year old child um i wanted to be a jockey a national jockey and like i was five i ended up in five foot eleven and like at the minute i'm about 14 stone 13 14 stone so i'd be you know i'm, I'm a healthy 14 stone and mm. ashamedly I'm, I'm more i'm healthier now and living i'm a lot fitter now than what i ever was when i was riding um obviously there's nutritionists that i, I probably probably have to work with now but like i'm big into cycling and and kind of do a little bit of running and i'm involved with the local ga team whenever kind of time and, and work and family allow but i'm, I'm fitter now than, than whatever i was when i was riding and when you did start riding what kind of things were you looking into get pursuing did when you were riding for example did you maybe look at areas such as like bloodstock for example or did you ever do like a now you're involved in the media uh, um did you did you ever think about that as a possible line of work for you there... no i loved obviously we still have the family farm at home uh, which my brother's kind of looking after um one of my brothers is, is kind of or two of my brothers are kind of involved in that at the moment um i suppose that i would have loved to have uh, the initial thought was maybe well i start breaking in and pre-training but when I came home, there was a couple of possibilities to, you know, horses coming over. But I'd spent 10 years in England, so I knew very few people here in Ireland. And I was trying to build up a few contacts and, and what have you. But it, it wasn't, it was a lot harder work when you when you sat down to do it. Um, and I just thought, no. And I, I genuinely, from wanting to be a jockey your whole life, and then that realisation that it's, it's not happening, and the realisation that it's time to move on, um and kind of work for a living it's it it was tough and i genuinely i didn't know what to do i didn't know what i wanted either i, I initially as i said it was pre-training with a view to maybe going point to point and training or you know see where things led from there hmm. but um, i was also very good at dougie costello i listened to the podcast earlier in the week thought dougie was brilliant and dougie was saying about maybe pre-training and, and helping horses that, that were jumping that were maybe difficult jumping hmm. and I was quite good at getting young horses jumping off the ground and what have you. I would have been very interested in that. But um, I'm very happy doing it. Like if you give me a set of tires and poles and a hurdle and, and a fence and, and a young horse for the afternoon, I'd be quite happy working away doing that. But um, the reality, when I when I knuckled down to, to try and get something sorted and built up, it just wasn't happening and it, it was tough work. So I ended up, I left it, it got a couple of CVs drawn up and... Luckily enough, I, I got accepted into Boyle Sports. Hmm. And was that because of your bag? Because obviously you've been, you worked in the racing industry before. Did that help you get that yeah. that opportunity? Because if it, if you're maybe an outsider that's not been in that environment before, they yeah, you're at an advantage. It, yeah, it did. It definitely did. Um, I started off in the shops, working in the shops for Boyle Sports and. I remember the first, I'd never worked inside before, and I remember one of the, a friend of mine texted me, um, Josh Hamer, he's, he's an assistant at, at William Haggis's now, and Xander Voy, and I think the two lads were laughing, they thought I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't last two weeks. So I'm still here now today, but I'm, I'm in the studio, I'm obviously a sports broadcaster up by the sports, but I've done five and a half years in the shop, and the poor manager, um, Cathy, when, when I, the day I first started, I couldn't switch on the computer. Mm. <laughs> She told, I told in, in the interview, I said I could work a computer, 
but uh, I couldn't actually switch one on. So I thought, well, if I got the job, I could work from there. Hmm. So yeah, five five and a half years I spent in the shops. When when you were starting out at Boyles, did is there always maybe that case that because you're a jockey and you've worked in racing, you've got some inside information and sometimes it might be a bit you might not be as trusted as much if that makes sense a little bit yeah if, if you had a tip and it won or you fancied a horse and it won the race was fixed obviously it's not but you know but if, if you if you give a horse and the horse lost um then you knew nothing about horses so yeah. there was a flip side to every kind but some people were quite nice about it but uh there was, you know, if horse won, then oh, you, you knew something or, you know, that's sort of, you knew that was going to happen. But if the horse lost, which generally was the outcome, um, mm. you knew nothing about horses. But it was great fun. The shops were great fun. No, and, and so it sounds like you did quite well then at Boyles. And um, what have you gone on to do since um, you said you now work in the broadcasting there, but what else do you do away from them? I- do, I'm a sports broadcaster of Boyle Sports and I do a little bit on my own social media Twitter page at PG Callaghan um, just whatever writing all things horse racing I absolutely love the sport hmm. um, it's very hard to get away from and I love I'm, I have a fascination and I listened to Dougie Costello again during the week describing the American racing you know how horses the change off a lead and, and just how to do things over there I've, been, I've never been to America hmm. and I'd love to go to Santa Anita to the Breeders' Cup I'd just developed a fascination with American racing, kind of, I've always had it, but ever since watching Rachel Pearl win under Johnny Murta, I think back in 94, I think, she won the, the Breeders' Cup mile. Um, but I, I do a little bit of writing on my social media page, recently done a couple of interviews with Aidan Coleman and Gary Stevens, who are very kind, giving me their, their time. Um, we've got a couple of more coming in the pipeline, and I've also had a couple of appearances, I took part in the Jets media training, with uh, with racing TV, which was absolutely brilliant, loved it. Um, I had a couple a couple of days in Ealing Studios in London. Um, thanks very much to Lisa Delaney and Phil Kinsella and everybody at RMG, and and racing TV. It was just we had two fantastic days, and we made an, had an appearance on the on the channel on the second day. Hmm. And um, I was very fortunate. I've been on the channel. I've had three more appearances on the channel at the race course at Dundalk as a pundit. So it was yeah, it was brilliant. And that's part of a scheme, isn't it, to help um, jockeys that have been in the industry and now have left and they're looking for lines of work. Do you think that's important for jockeys yeah. when they leave the sport? And we've seen examples with it, especially in the last few years, uh, some some high profile names. Um, uh, I've just not it's not just been going well for them and they've just called time on their career and some people know where they want to go others don't but for those people that don't know where to go is it vital to have those lifelines for people like yourself that found it hard to find an alternative career once they left I think it is I think and you find as well it's no maybe it is a coincidence like I've got married two, I'm two years married now um, and since I started in Boyle Sports I've started doing a college course as well. Um, it's a, I'm studying business studies, doing a Bachelor of Business Studies degree. And I've just completed my second year and I've also just started doing a, a journalism course. Um, and it's no coincidence that touch wood and thankfully things have started progressing and picking up and just things like constructing an, even an email. I couldn't, I could write, my English was fine, but it was actually constructing and putting it together, you know, laying a foundation and then the middle part and, and you know coming to the end um 
you know, my from the first year of college, my emails got so when I started in boil sports, my emails were very conversational. Mm. I would have said agricultural, but I, they, they were very conversational. Whereas now, they would be a lot more well constructed, more thought out. You just develop these things, and you know, it, I don't think it's any coincidence. You know, if if it, it used to be frowned upon as well, I think almost an unspoken. You know, if you saw anybody talking to to Jets, Lisa Delaney, and in more recent times, Phil Kinsella. Um, you know, if you saw anyone talking to, to Lisa, well, maybe you were thinking of packing in. Maybe your heart wasn't in horse racing anymore, you know, whereas I, I think it's more acceptable now. And, and do you think that looking back to when you started as a jockey and if you're starting up as a jockey now, there's a lot more support for them than there's ever been, even though it is still a tough environment. Do you, do you think it's a, if you were having your time again, it, it is difficult, but there's a lot more of a support network now or, or hasn't it not really changed? I think there was a support network there when I was certainly in my approach in my mid twenties, but I didn't use it. Unfortunately. Um, I don't know whether it was just on, you know, it just wasn't socially acceptable or whether that was just in my head, but I wish I had to have used it because it's like, like any sport so much depends on, on, on what, how you are outside the saddle. And I've definitely, as a person outside of work, I feel I've definitely developed, maybe I've just matured as well, but I've developed since my attending at, at college and what have you, you just think about things a little bit more different and you're just a little bit more open and, and a, a pro- you know, your approach to things are different. Um, and like that in, in the saddle, it's it's just, you know, you, if to get a license, you have to ride a horse to some level of, capability you know you have to be decent to ride a horse to get a license in the first place so you know it's a hard work as well and then then you're, you know your communication with owners and trainers is vital no it's, no most definitely is but um that's all we've got time for uh in this podcast i really appreciate you coming on paul it's great to talk about your experiences and journey as a jockey and what you're up to now and how life's treated you but um no really enjoyed having you on and Hopefully we'll have Thanks you. Thanks very much. Have you? Hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks for saying. For more podcasts, please follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And you can also follow us on social media. Where on Twitter we are at In the Saddle Pod, and on Instagram our name is In the Saddle Global.